Welcome to Miami. Bienvenidos a Miami. You're now listening to MIA Radio. Who put this thing together? DJ Kev. DJ Zayn. Let me holler at my real Miami motherfuckers. Say, be yourself and don't be afraid to demand your respect. And I mean that in any sense, with your pay, with your appearance, and the way you conduct the crowd. Because once people feel that you're a leader, they're going to follow. Yeah. All right, we're running. I thought we had to talk on tempo. I was nah, getting nah, nervous. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> on the metronome. We are live and direct. MIA Radio's DJ Zaya, DJ Kaz. We got a special guest on location. On location. Uh-huh. Remote. Remote. On at uh, Mr. Cream in Wynwood. We have Mr. Cream himself, yeah. a.k.a. DJ Effect. What up, y'all? Yeah, we got yeah. claps now. Clap. We claps now. There you go. I like that. Yes, sir. So uh, this is one of the DJs, uh, I mean, at least for me, one of the DJs I met uh, first, one of the first DJs I met on the beach. Um, and I think he was a big influence on me. I mean, I don't think I've ever told you that. Yeah, thanks, you know, man. Yeah, man. new thing I'm trying to do this year, tell people how I feel. You know what I'm saying? That's dope. Right. Um, yeah, like uh, just in the DJ game, but not, uh, you know, technical DJing and all that stuff. Just like how to be a DJ, like overall. That's right. Like, you know what I'm saying? You were one of the first persons to influence me like that. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I guess we want to talk about kind of you know your path from djing to where you are now you're a business owner entrepreneur like you do yeah, it all so yeah man you know maybe a quick uh quick uh, how did you start djing uh, i got into djing when i was 12 years old 11 turning 12 i had a i was diagnosed with a, a bone cyst on my femur and um the doctor told me i was gonna walk for a while so like i, I didn't walk for two years oh shit so in that process i was getting kind of like angry and upset and i'm like why me why me i was super into sports even though i, I sucked but you know i was super into it and um i was just trying to like figure out what like what am i going to do to pass this time of rehab and and you know what, what like what am i going to do to keep busy you know at that age your friends are all playing in sports and hanging out and all this stuff and i was like i was sitting at home one day and, and randomly the movie juice came on yeah and i saw Ooh. this the dj battle which now that i watch and you can see it's all fake but at the time right right at the time i was like i just like being competitive i didn't really care what it was so like when i saw a competitive aspect of something in music. I always loved music, but I never thought about DJing or producing or any of that right. shit. So when I saw the DJ battle scene, I was like, oh my God, that's some shit competitive. And I remember it was weird to me because like when he did the when he did the little routine in his bedroom, I've never until this day, I don't you don't see DJs sitting down. Yeah. But at the time I couldn't walk. So like for me it was interesting seeing a competitive thing sit, sitting down. And I don't know if that's what triggered it. Yeah. So that's that's so when I saw that I was like I gotta be a DJ that's it yeah because now it's like if you see some if you see a DJ sitting down oh, like you're automatically like, like a lazy yeah. fuck and you're like, fired look, like, like look at this guy bro like, like all you gotta do is play music and you're sitting down yeah but yeah. I mean so my dad had like a shelf system in in the crib and he's from Israel so like we had like all these Israeli records and mm-hmm. Saturday Night Fever soundtrack that's oh, all we shit. had so I remember like putting on Power ninety six ten thirty Street Party and then mm-hmm. scratching over it because I didn't have two turntables or a mixer right <laughs> so I would play the street party and just scratch on this belt driven turntable over and over and over again and I was just doing that every night because I didn't really know what else to do right. wasn't into video games and shit so from that like I think my bar mitzvah came up I'm a Jew you know what I'm saying so I, <laughs> I got my bar mitzvah money and I bought turntables and okay. then that was kind of it and then I just like hustled my way through like house parties and I started making at that time for me good money as a 13 year old yeah and then it just kind of showed me. I was like, man, I could, I could turn this into I, this. I'm doing something I love to do, and I can make a living doing this. Yeah. Wait, so you never had a, any real job? 
uh, my first job was at Dairy Queen, which we're going to resurface wow. to why we're here now at Mr. Cream. But oh, okay. yeah, that was my first oh, job. It only lasted about 10 days, but it was my it was my only like. And after that, I tell you, never. No, I never worked another job. Wow, in my life. That's amazing. I love that's when dope. DJs fucking yeah. say that shit. I just said, I was like, listen, I'm not, I don't believe in plan B. I just got to make right. A work. You know exactly. what I mean? Yeah, you fell in love with it and you're like, well, this is what I'm going to do. Well, first I fell in love with the competitiveness of it, you know, and I was super into like scratching and technical shit and I did like guitar center battles and stuff like that until realization synced in when I saw like ITF and DMC because I, I didn't know about that like when I was coming up. There wasn't like YouTube and all this. So right. if you weren't hanging out with people that were in that culture, you didn't really know about it. Right, right. right. So, so when, 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 uh, you know, when I found out about it and that's actually when I met DJ infamous from the allies, um, okay. turns out we had common friends and my boy sold infamous's first turntables. Um, that's when I started learning about that culture. And I thought what I was doing was ill and it was nothing compared to, cause you know, there's like the, there's like the, the, the nightclub radio sound of scratching and yeah. then there's like the, the, the routine, crazy technical like side of it. Yeah. And that just opened up a whole nother thing. And then that's when I kind of went back to the drawing board and just started practicing more on technicalities until right. I realized that none of that shit mattered. But we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll get to that point. But when, when was it that you're like. You're like, okay, I'm going to start attacking these, like, nightclubs and start getting your foot in the door with that. I, I was literally... When you transitioned, yeah. So, so I met this dude at the time. His, well, his name is DJ Spaz, but that was the dude I met at the time who was like, yo, you buy records? I was like, yeah. He's like, you're crazy. He's like, you don't have to buy records. I'm like, what does that mean? And he was like, I'm going to take you to the beach. There's record promoters that line up and give DJs records. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, that doesn't make any... Like, show me, show me the way. Right. You know what I'm saying? How so is this possible? Yeah, he took me there, and it was literally just that easy. They needed, like, a business card or something at the time because it wasn't about social media and shit. Yeah. So in, in the beginning, I couldn't really tackle nightclubs because, number one, the only way I would get records was that my parents would give me lunch money for school. They would give me $1.25 every morning. So I would skip lunch every day and then at the end of the week have money to buy one record. Right. So I was averagely buying one record a week and not eating lunch right. <laughs> to be able to get records. Oh, and then shit. when he put me on to the people that showed me how to get records for free, right. I was like, yo, within three months, I was pretty current with all my music and yeah. shit. And he gave me a lot of his doubles. Like He was one of the first people to really like take me under his wing and say, yo, man, because at that time, like I knew how to scratch really well for being a young kid and people weren't really into that shit. So... When he showed me the ways of getting records, as soon as I had like a, a collection to feel confident that I could go rock an hour. Like a set. That, the, the, where, the, where the record meetups were was right in front of a club at that time called Club Cream, which is owned by Rob De Niro. Okay. At that time. Yeah, you know what I'm Rob, yeah. So I used to bug Rob every day. I was this little annoying ass kid. And at that time, I was, I, was, I was out of the wheelchair and like on crutches and shit. I was like, yo, I want to play at your club. Yo, I want to play at your club. I was badgering this dude. Like I felt bad. Like now looking back, I'm like, damn, I was annoying as fuck. You had to be though. Yeah. But one night, um, there was a DJ from Miami named Cool G who didn't show up to work because he had a problem and Rob was outside like pacing and shit and, and I, I was just eavesdropping on the conversation. I was like, let me play, let me play, let me play. He's like, I'm going to give you your chance but you ain't getting paid. I was like, no problem. Yeah. So I went in there and I rocked and he was really happy with it and he's like, listen man, I know you're young and shit but you're actually talented and I like the way that you are on the mic and like all this shit. He goes, you can't work on school nights but I'm going to give you a Saturday to open up. Nice. So from that point, I started doing that Saturday, and then like within a month or two months, I was doing all of the little hole in the wall spots on on Sixth Street. Yeah, that's when like Washington had like all yeah the, all the clubs, all the clubs. And right I here. I didn't even have a driver's license yet, Shit. so like I literally had to get dropped off from work by either my mother, my father, or whatever one of my friends, and I still had to be home by two because that's what my parents said. And how old are you? Probably like fourteen, turning fifteen. I love that he was considerate. Like, yo, you can't work on school nights. Yeah, yeah he, he was. You know, he knew I was a kid. Luckily, I'm Middle Eastern, so I had a beard at a very young age. Yeah. You know, I had a mustache when I was like yeah. three, so yeah. it was easier for me to pass shit off. But 
that's kind of how I just got my foot in. But it, but the thing was, is like like I said, like coming from wanting to be a competitive person on the DJing side of shit, when I got the experience of rocking a crowd and saying, hey, put your hands up, and people put their hands up, or right. seeing somebody coming in a shit mood and being able to turn their mood into a happy mood or whatever, that started driving me way more. So that's when I, start, I stopped caring so much about practicing, and I started caring a lot more about politicking. Right. And I, I was like, yo, I want to be everywhere every night rocking for everybody and I want to make everybody put their fucking hands up. Like that yeah. was my that was my goal. Like that's all I cared about was just yeah, seeing the reaction. Like like how I said, like uh, the way you influenced me, because like when I first started DJing on the beach, like, you know, DJing for me in the beginning was like it was like a nerdy thing. It was like, yo, I just want to be like a dope DJ. Yo, let me look like at these videos. Yeah. yeah. Like all oh, the scratchings. Like the science of it. And, uh, and a lot of a lot of the DJs are like that. So then when I started DJing on the South Beach, I didn't know shit. And I was and then when I when you walked in one day, I was like, I was like, damn, this dude has the jewelry. He had the whip. He had like the mic presence. He had like the, the whole package. And I was like, oh, this shit is, like, more than just being a good DJ. Like, right. you got to, like, have the look. You got to. Because back then, we were all, like, there was no social media. So we were just wearing black T-shirts and hoodies, yeah. like, like looking whack. And, you know, much. the crazy shit was is that at that time, like, dude, I never cared about jewelry. I never cared about cars. I never cared about none of that shit until, like, I started paying attention to my surroundings, right? And at that time, Khaled was, like, on underground radio, but Khaled was, like, the fucking hometown hood hero. Like, he was yeah. so respected in the Jamaican culture with reggae. He was so respected in the hip-hop culture. And I, and I never saw him. And I, I never knew what, like, you know, the whole, the, you know, when, when you're a DJ or an artist, like, you have to have, like, a, like a star kind of appeal. Yeah. It's kind of changed now, but at that yeah. time. No, it was, and especially that we weren't used to it. Like, yeah, when because someone back DJ then, would walk in, it was like, whoa. Yeah, back then you wouldn't, you know, see their feet or whatever right. you know it was like you heard the name and then like when you saw somebody it was like like a, like a like a glow around them you right know? like it so was the like, funny oh, thing shit. the like, funny thing was i never knew what he looked like because there was no social media but yeah. i was doing mansion on a well, it was let called level then yeah. on a monday and he pulled up and i had no idea that he was the dj Khaled that i heard on the radio every day and when i saw him i was like this dude gotta be important as fuck like he just at that time it was the new escalade just came out escalade yeah. never existed i'm like this dude just pulled up an escalade he got this big terror squad chain on all this stuff i'm like Maybe he's a rapper. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? And then when I saw it, it kind of, it, it kind of, I kind of dissected it more than just looking at somebody as, oh, why does he have all this jewelry? I kind of dissected it like, oh, well, if you do this, you stand out in a crowd and then people start to wonder who you are. And then right. when they see who you are, it kind of just puts the whole package together. And then you just say, it, it just kind of makes more sense. Like you need, as a DJ, especially at that time, you had to walk in a room and feel a presence. Now, now your social media needs to make that presence. But right. at the time, the actual person had to make that presence. Right. And I started seeing, and then I started paying attention to like Funk Master Flex and DJ Clue and Kid Capri and every one of them. Like I remember the first time I heard Kid Capri, he pulled up in a tour bus with his face on the side of it. It said Def Comedy Jam Tour. He pulled up in front of, I think it was called Club Zen or whatever it was back. And I was just like, yo, who, what is right. this? Like, a DJ could have his own bus. Yeah. Like I, I, I didn't understand that. So like, that's when I started understanding yeah. the culture a little bit better. And I was just like, yo, this is, this is crazy. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, that's, that's what I'm saying. Even like with the presence, like, cause I, like I was always, like, we talked about it on the podcast with conflict. I was always like, fucking, we were kind of like scared to like, you know, be loud or be like, but when first time I heard you play, you were like, you didn't give a fuck. And I yeah. was like, whoa, like, yeah. like, damn, like you were dope. like demanding shit. Like, yeah. like, yo, I'm playing the music. Like I run this show. And I was like, oh, okay. Like we have that power. We could like, you know, like we're running the night. But yeah. even, even back then to this day, like when, when the young up and coming DJs ask me my best advice to them, I give them two things. I said, be yourself 
and don't be afraid to demand your respect. And I mean that in any sense, with your pay, with your appearance, and the way you conduct the crowd. Because once people feel that you're a leader, they're going to follow. But if you come in as a follower, you're never going to be a leader. And I always tell people, like, you just got to you have to believe in yourself to the highest level. Like, not on no, like, life coaching shit, but, like, if you're not going to believe in yourself, no one else is. Yeah, because it comes across when people are, like, trying to be on the mic and it's just, like, like they're forcing it. You're like, they're not comfortable. But the reason now is because everybody's cool with being a clone. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, I heard this guy say, you know, like one of the dumb things I used to do was wish everybody happy birthday on the microphone. I always did that because like for some reason when even on your birthday, not your birthday, if you tell somebody happy birthday, they smile. They're like, it's not my birthday. Hey, you were the, one of the first ones, at least, that I heard say your best friend's birthday, which I was like, when I heard that, I was like, that's genius. Yeah. To get right. everyone involved. Yeah. And you know, like all of that stupid stuff. Yeah. And it, it's not that it's stupid. It's just you're, you're making people feel happy. And that's what, the, that's what the overall goal is. And I think a lot of DJs lose sight of that shit. They think it's about them. They think it's about the routine. Or they think, like, I'm, and to each his own. I'm just not very big on, like, the playlist DJ. Like, the right. guy that plans the set and goes and plays it in 20 different cities because, to me, in a club, timing is everything. And the way you do A little garbage can knock over, yeah. not a big deal. Like I said, we're, we're live from Mr. Cream, so... You know, anything can happen. <laughs> Trash cans knocked over, whatever. Well, now we're, we're moving a couple things here. There's, there's, there's a popping during the day right now in the afternoon in Miami. Hell yeah. Well, I got ADD, so I forgot, I forgot what I was talking about, but anyways... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, anyways, I mean, that, and then during that time, you were kind of getting more involved in the beach and stuff. But when did you like really like because you also became the guy on South Beach for yeah, I for mean, a minute. that kind of happened where it was it was an ironic situation. At one point I felt and it was crazy because it was before I hit the peak of my success in this market. I started to feel like I had hit the roof. Here. I'm like, yo, I'm kind of playing at every club. Um, there's not really much shit I can do. And at that time. I was doing a steakhouse <laughs> called The Forge, and that's, that. believe it or not, and a lot of people know this, but a lot of people don't, The Forge on Sunday is what became Live on Sunday, right? right? So it started there when they closed down for renovation. They were like, we're going to move this party to this like club that's opening in a hotel. And I remember Louis Oliver at the time saying, man, I don't want to be in no, in no hotel. That's going to be cheesy. It's going to be like one of those like hard rock type of things. What, uh, what, what year was this? To kind of like this was, uh, have a timeline. I think it was like... Well, live now. Is, I well, live, yeah, live opened about ten years ago. So yeah, I 08? think it was like oh seven, oh eight. Okay. You know, and that the, that Forge party went on for like five years, and it was crazy because like when we first started that party, the first year nobody went there, and then like I was playing for an empty room, doing six hour sets. Shit. And um, I remember one night, randomly, I look in the crowd, and it was Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan, and Paulie Shore just hanging out, having drinks at the bar, no, shit. normal. <laughs> and I was like bugged out. I was like, yo, this is crazy. Like the, yeah. two, the two biggest idols, and then Paulie Shore. Yeah, because the, <laughs> the Forge. I mean, the Forge is still like a staple in the in the heritage. My, yeah. my parents met there. Oh you know what shit! I'm saying? So without the Forge, I don't even know if I'd be here. <laughs> yeah, the Forge. To, to people not from Miami, the Forge is like. Like a staple restaurant, high end restaurant, like that also did the illest parties. Like yeah. they had a Wednesday there. They were the first that's actually the first venue that started open format in Miami. Oh yeah. Like everybody's like, Oh, AM came to Miami and, and started open format. He he did it the right way. Right. But the the concept of like hearing hip hop and rock and all that in one place was the forge. Okay. And that was a Wednesday night party. And um that's kinda how I got an open format I was playing. Who used, over to, there. who used to play that Wednesday, you know? Um it was a dude named Joe Dirt. Right. I um, remember that name. Irie used to okay. do it, Ross won, and then I, I came in. After I started doing the Sunday, I kind of got thrown into the Wednesday because that's actually one of the influences that 
you know, kind of helped me mold my music selection was the first time I heard AM play. Right. And that night I heard him play, I was like, wow, that's allowed. I can do that. Yeah. I think, so, yeah. That's, I mean, that's what a lot of DJs are like. That's how I felt when I first time I heard it was actually on a mix. I was like, I'm like thinking, I'm like, damn, I've thought about this shit, but I didn't realize that I could actually do it. Like, but okay. that, that goes back to the confidence thing that I was yeah. telling you about because it, it had to have take a certain level of person for AM to be like, I'm going to walk into a club and I'm going to play Depeche Mode, White Stripes and Young Jeezy and yeah. everybody's going to be fine with it. Yeah. And if you don't like it, go fuck yourself. And right. that's and he had that persona. Like yeah. when, when you watch him play, he had that look like I'm going to do whatever I want because it works. Yeah. And then he gave us all the security to be able to, to feel the same way, which I thought was dope. Right. He was a leader and an innovator, and I think that's what being a DJ is all about. No one's ever going to stand out copying somebody else's shit. And the, the one thing I hate is, like, standing in a club and doing something that required thought, and then somebody standing behind you say, oh, I'm going to take that. Oh, I'm going to steal that. And yeah. they say it with confidence. I'm like, you're cool with being a fucking counterfeiter, a right. bootlegger. Yeah. You must have some fake Louis Vuitton shit in yeah. your closet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was, I was one of the things I wanted to ask was that because, like, you know, like Zaya said, like, you were the dude on the mic. So, like, I've been I've been in Miami. Like, I kind of grew up here, and I used to come back all the time. And I, I would go to, was it, uh, We Rock Hip Hop, a yeah. mansion, whatever yeah, I yeah. did. Like, I used to come to the club when I lived in Texas. And, like, and then when I moved, I would, you know, I did my homework. And you were the dude. And, like, I would go see Conflict. And Conflict was, like, zero mic, like, technical, like, the science. Yeah. And then I would go see you, and it'd be, like, the wildest shit. Like, the wildest shit I, like i ever heard or like seen because to me it was like i was coming from texas where it was like a bar this a bar that like very like follow the rules and i wouldn't get booked because i wanted to be like let me play some weird shit you know yeah but when i would go see you it'd be like the weird shit was like the mic and yeah. like i had never seen anybody or i never heard anybody say some of the shit that you said so like if we can like break down like what was going through like, my mind? Yeah, or like, or even, or even like, like, how did it go from like, you know, put your hands up to like, you know, saying some of the shit? I mean, and I'll let you break everything down. Like, so it was kind of interesting. So it's kind of going back to what I was saying a minute ago where I was like, well, I was doing all this shit in Miami and I was like, damn, I kind of hit the roof here. I don't really think there's much other shit I can do. And when I was playing, like the first two months when Forge moved over to live, I met this lady named Jessica Rosenblum. And for the for people who are not familiar with Jessica Rosenblum, from she, New York, right? From yeah. New York, she's the person that started like the tunnel in New York right. City, and right. she yeah, like she's a legend. She like managed Flex and like all of this different shit. And um, you know, she heard like the way that I played because at that time I was super into like all the regions and a lot of DJs were focused on Miami, but I knew how to play everything from like Bobby Brown at those parties to like New Jack Swing shit and then go into R&B and kind of like mix it up. So she came up to me the other night and she was like, I've been in Miami a lot of times and I, I'd never met you before, but I think you're hands down one of the most well-rounded DJs that know how to read the room, which is funny last night because Funkmaster Flex on High 97, last night I posted it on my Instagram. He was like randomly giving me a compliment like about me reading rooms and shit. So she was like, I want to work with you. I want to start bringing you out to New York City. And then in my head, I'm like, I feel like I hit the roof in Miami. New York is a, a bigger market. Right. And so I started playing once a month. And then I started doing Greenhouse on Tuesdays. And I started doing, like, all the, the big parties in New York. And it was weird because there's a lot of great DJs in New York. But she picked a guy from Miami to come out there and do these parties. And then from that, she was like, oh, Mark Pitts' birthday is Grammy weekend. And you're going to do this party with, like, Sierra and Usher. And, like, at that time, those were all the biggest of the biggest. And shit. Right. So I did that party. So... Being in New York market a lot, I used to hear DJs talk crazy as shit on the mic, but right. not not 
I like to say what I say sometimes is some shit could be disgusting, but then there was also some shit that I was mean, just, like it was humorous y- though. You yeah. were like you were like disrespectful, but I said it with a smile on my exactly. face. Exactly, no, which is awesome. Like I'm. Which that I, changes everything, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. I, you can look somebody in the face and say, I fucking hate you, but if you're smiling, yeah. they don't, it doesn't. Right. Uh, but that was kind of like my, so when I heard the wild shit on the mic, like Flex was just crazy on the mic. Like he would be on the radio, stop the music for three minutes and just go off on a random person that no one knows who he's talking about All on right. the radio. And I was like, wow, that shit works. Yeah. So in that process, you were talking about like hitting the peak of success in Miami. When I went to New York and then everybody started seeing what I was doing on like shit like MySpace, because that yeah. was like the first social media platform in Twitter. Um, the Miami people, now all of a sudden, I was like filet mignon to them. They were like, oh, this guy from Miami went to a bigger market, and now he's popping. Now now we're going to make him offers that he's going to want to be here. Right. And I'll never forget, I was in New York, and I, I was there on a Tuesday doing Greenhouse, and Mo called me, who's now with Liv, yeah. but at the time he was an opium group, and he's like, I want you to do Privé tonight. And that was like a party that I was always trying to get into. But like it was like Mauricio and Radimus, and I'm like, these guys were like, the trendsetters before I was, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to take that throne from right. me. And he's like, I'm like, yo, but I'm doing Greenhouse tonight. And he was like, but I need you to come do this party tonight. And I'm like, bro, I'm doing this. Shit. I called up Jessica Rosenblum and I was like, listen, I'm going to ask you a question from a manager standpoint. This has been a party I've been trying to get since like day one. They want me to do it. She's like, you better go do that shit. Yeah. I, you, you could come play Greenhouse next week. I don't give a fuck. Go. Shit. I came back and I did Privé. And, um, so that night I did Privé, I shut it down or whatever, and um, Mo was like, you want to do every Tuesday? I'm like, what about the other guys? He's like, are you, are you a business person? you stupid? I'm asking you, do you want to do this party every week? Don't worry yeah. about anybody else. But at the time, like, I had respect for the people that like, laid the foundation. Right. And what made it way worse, at that time, also Radimus was doing Monday nights at Club Bed. And the night okay. that I played Privé on Tuesday, Mike Robbins and the guys from Empire were involved with all that shit. They were like, do you want to do a bed on Monday? And then I shit. was, and that party was like the shit. Right. So I was kind of like, I'm down. But, and I knew it was another DJ that was in right. the same situation as Tuesday. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to listen to Mo's words in my head, and I'm going to just do what I got to do. Yeah. So I went and I did, I did the Monday the following week, and they were like, yo, do you want every week? And I was like, yeah. And at that time, I think it was like December going into January, and that's when Jamie Foxx's Blame It record came out. That's when okay. that record was huge. And I'm DJing there. I think it was New Year's Day. And fucking Jamie Foxx, Young Jeezy, Michael Phelps. Uh, it was like the most random group of people. At one yeah. point, and this is like, I've done celebrity parties, but I've never been respected or at least felt that I had the respect I deserved in Miami. I was just DJing everywhere, but I, don't, I didn't feel that. I was getting respect from other DJs, but I wasn't getting respect from like the people right. and the club owners. And I, don't felt that, I didn't feel that anybody was like, oh, I'm going to go there because Effect is playing there. I okay. just thought it would be like, DJs would hit me up that day and be like, yo, I want to go hang with you. And right. I'll be like, dope. And I would always support all the DJs because I was once that person. That night, I don't know what the fuck happened at bed on that Monday when all of those celebrities were there. And, and then I put the video on YouTube. And that was like my first. That's when YouTube was kind of new, but it was my first quote unquote like little video to go viral. Mm-hmm. Like it had like 140,000 plays like in three days because Shit. some blogger was like, oh, there was a. And that's when Michael Phelps was going through that whole weed the thing. The weed oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they were like Michael Phelps, Young Jeezy, um, and Jamie Foxx are blaming it on the alcohol and maybe some marijuana in yeah. Miami with sounds by DJ Effect. And yeah. from that day forward, I felt like I started getting a lot more recognition. And then a month after that is when my radio shit came. So then I had, I had 103.5 to beat. I had all of the clubs. I had all that shit. And then I was just traveling back and forth between L.A., New York, and Miami just constantly and constantly and constantly. And that's kind of how, like, I felt like the root of shit. So going back to the mic thing, because that's what was the whole purpose in my ADD kind of kicking my ass right now. But. No, all good. I mean, that's the whole point of the 
yeah. podcast that happened. <laughs> so hearing the New York guys, I don't know why I drifted off. But anyways, hearing the New York guys and the, the crazy shit they were saying on the mic, I was like, well, now I kind of feel like if somebody could talk crazy shit on radio, the club is way worse because you could curse in the club and you could, and people are drunk, so they're going to be more responsive to wild shit. So I started saying random things, and like one day I was like, "If you're STD free, make some noise." <laughs> right. Which, which, <laughs> which, which in Miami, you know, yeah. in, in in the early 2000s, it was a wild, yeah. wild city. It's way different than it is now. I mean, there's still shit now, but like. And everybody would scream because the first thing you, you don't want to be the quiet person. Exactly. You don't want to be the quiet person right. in the club when that question is asked. So men and women would scream to that, you know. And I started saying shit like that and the wishing the people happy birthday. And I would just say shit that would like related to like regular regular day life for people that were going out and getting drunk every right. night. You I know remember, what I'm saying? I remember you saying if you make it was like if you make more money than your ex-boyfriend yeah that one you were the first one empowering women yeah back in the day (laughs) i mean it it was just like i mean it's it's i always like to break things down and like the science and like the reason behind it like you're you're boosting people's confidence that's what it's about by saying you know especially like the single ladies if you make more money than your ex and then like the first time i ever heard this i was like yeah what the fuck it was like if you make more than like thirty thousand dollars a year and i was like like the nerd in me was like thirty thousand dollars a year i was like for, i'm like hold on i'm like that's like making fucking like a little over like less than two grand a month and like i just started making and i was like why would you be out if you're that so everybody's like yo i make more money than that like you you could have said two hundred thousand dollars and yeah. people were still gonna be like but like you were just saying all this shit and then like you know boosting girls like about their exes and like if you got you know like like the boozy shit like yeah. re- if, if you got real hair real nails whatever all that shit and like i would see people's faces and they were just so like happy and well, so I, like i just felt like the club was like you got 24 hours in a day and you got seven days a week 30 something days a month 29, yeah. whatever 365 days a year when you go to the club that's your moment to like unplug from the shit right. that you have to deal with every day now right. the, now and, and i'm gonna touch on that because the reason the clubs are fucked up now has nothing to do with people. That's yeah. to do with the phone. Right. Because before you would go to the club to escape reality for that two to three hours. But now you're bringing the phone with you. And if a, something bad is going on and you're watching that at the club, it's going to affect the way you feel. Right. right. You know what I'm saying? Like, so that's like at that time, my job as the conductor, fuck being a DJ, I was yeah. conducting. You know, at, at that moment, I wanted to take people out of their everyday struggle their their job their ex-girlfriend their current boyfriend whatever their whatever shit that was going wrong and just take them on that ride and make them forget about all their shit so if it was mixing entertainment with music to me that's what being a dj is because a dj is like to me they say an mc is a master of ceremony but the dj is the same thing as an mc being a master of ceremony like you you're the master of that fucking ceremony and you have to take people out of their you got to get people out of their shell you got to take the guy who said he would never dance and make him want to dance and i used to do shit like that i would see a guy being his back up against the wall and i would call him out i would call him out and get a girl and say you better go dance on him or i'm not gonna play the record because i want to change that guy's life for tonight and make him feel that when he comes back the next week He's not going to be afraid to dance because I just proven that he can he can do that shit. Yeah. And that's all I was thinking about. And a lot of that shit happened because, like I said, what got me into DJing wasn't walking. And being young and not walking, bullying is real. People talking shit is real. People yeah. saying shit that sticks in your head is real. And I went through that. So I was like, I don't want to see anybody around me having a bad time. I don't want to see anybody around me looking sad. I don't want to see around. And I'm still that way to this day. If I seen... 
a kid bullying another kid, I'll smack the shit out of that kid if he's bullying. Another. I don't, I don't, I'm like I'm like the bully of anti-bully. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I hate bullying. I hate bullying. I hate cyberbullying. I, I always put myself in a situation where even now on social media, I'll fight other people's battles. If I see somebody being disrespectful to somebody else, I'll chime in and be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because I, I think everybody at some point in their life went through some crazy shit or mean shit or... It could be a girl who fucked up your head. It could have been one of your homeboys that you, like fucked your trust up, and you had to be the person to fix that shit. So I've I've always been into that, and I and I carried that into the clubs. Like I wanted pe- I wanted everybody to have a good time. I was not taking no for an answer. And if I had to stop and point out a person, I would do that. Yeah, man, it was dope. Like it was to me as I mean to both of us being new to that that the scene, the, the South Beach South Beach scene, like. It was just different. And those days were crazy because, you know, you had your scene, you know, you were you were in, in the hip hop urban scene and mm-hmm. then Conflict was doing more of the open format scene. Yeah. It was two different monsters, but they were like both so Yeah. So wild. So um And well I wanna ask you, like, you know, when you were talking about social media and stuff, like how did that kinda change like your perspective on like I mean like how you were going about DJing when like social media because I mean you were kind of ahead of I remember like you said you had the YouTube video but you were like on Twitter heavy I remember we went to that conference like remember, it was remember, at the I forgot what it was at the Mandarin at but you the were Mandarin? The, I remember you, you I remember you specifically talking about because um, now everyone what? does this it, it oh, was, oh, speaking on it yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah it was with, uh, with Rico Love yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but you were mentioning like the social uh, media panel I remember yeah, that yeah. yeah so you would go you would go on Twitter and you would basically search the nightclub that you played at I forgot which I think it was Mansion so you would type in Mansion to see whatever night it was even when you weren't playing like I think you even said Afrojack I remember yeah yeah so you would go and see what's popping and then whoever was tweeting about Afrojack and Mansion you would go like their shit comment on yeah, them yeah I would like comment and follow them one by right. one and, and I mean now everyone does that with bots and like you know Instagram comments and bullshit but like how I did do, you I still do that now like I, I like like for instance, like I played at Sway, and then I seen all these people. Even the people that didn't tag me, I would just look at geo tags and see who was there that night, and I would personally thank them. And then it was funny because like a lot of people write back, like, "Is this really you?" Yeah. And in my head, I'm like, I don't think I'm that fucking cool. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Like they were so shocked that the DJ and the, that person was like reaching out to them, right. and I was like, "Yo, thank you for rocking with me. Yo, you want a shirt? What's your address? I'm gonna send you a shirt." And people, I guess people either got used to bots or just used to people being dickheads, and they were like. A lot of people know me as an arrogant asshole, and I'm arrogant because I, 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 the way people treat me is the way I treat them. So if somebody's going to treat me like I'm arrogant, I'm going to be arrogant. If you treat me like I'm a regular person, I'm going to be a regular person. So, like, I, that whole social media shit, like, so on Twitter, I was the first person down here, not DJ, but the first person down here to be verified because it just so happens that one of the people that I was tight with happened to be, he did something with Twitter. His name was Tony Dofat. He was on, like, making the band and shit, and he got me verified. As soon as I got verified, my, my followers were shot, shooting up because yeah. it was very hard to be verified on Twitter. And do y'all remember, like, trending topics and shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, we, I, I would always just be on these, like, funny rants, like, kind of doing the same show, doing the mic, but on trending topics. And then I remember that Fabulous always used to retweet me because I would write off the wall shit, and he was very big on the trending topic shit. And then he told me, like, he even used a line in a song off of one of the things that I wrote on a trending topic and shit. And I started building a following with social media. But that was, be, that was when you had to read and yeah. shit. It wasn't visual. You put in yeah. the work. You know, you write your one-liner and it's like, oh, shit, do you see what he just said? All or, right. yo, I'm here tonight. Come check me. But when, it, when Instagram came into play, I think so much shit switched because, number one, 
people's jobs became social media and not their job anymore. No, like, you exactly. know, as a DJ, you need to be a, nowadays you got to be a graphic designer. You yeah. got to be a social media manager. You got to be a, a hey, DJ, a video editor. <laughs> you got to make podcasts and shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> exactly. That's what we're doing here. <clears throat> you know? And uh, it, it just became a lot of work. And it's crazy because you had to add seven descriptions to your job title, but right. the pages kept getting less yeah. and less and less. All right. So, and then, I mean, we could talk about that too. Like when it kind of started shifting towards like the, you know, the market value kind of came down and the beach and all the, all those clubs started closing. Like how did you kind of, cause you kind of, I guess you would say you made like a pivot kind of move. Transition. Transition. And Not to be honest with you, I just straight up stopped. I was just like, it, it, through the transition of everything, like I started dating a girl who's now my wife and she, I got pregnant yeah. and my, and then reality settled in. I was like. I got to take care of more than me. It's not about jewelry and cars anymore. Like I got to provide for a family. I got to get focused. I got to do this. I got to do that. And to be honest with you, it kind of fucked up the way that I was thinking in a good and a bad way. But when everything started like spiraling down on the beach, there was some fucking asshole that worked at the club. And I don't even care to say his name now because y'all probably know him. And, I, and you know me, I, I don't bite my tongue. I'm going to talk shit, I'm going to talk shit. Yeah, and do it. There was a guy who worked for the club named Aris who was like Roman's little stunt yeah. double. And I can't stand that guy. And, I, and, I, and I'll, I'll say it over and over again. And it, it, what, I know this is, a, a, is going to be a national podcast, but from a local level. <laughs> nah, I'll, I mean, every, well. Listen, man, I did my job every night. No matter how big or small I was, I was always on time. I was never late. I did my job to the fullest, and I always put energy. And the only thing that I asked for was I want to be on time, and everybody knows me. I like Patron. I like yeah. to drink. you know. And this dude was making my life complicated right? for a very long time. And it was already towards the end, and my wife was pregnant. So I was kind of like, you know what? He's going to treat me like I ain't shit, and I'm going to treat him like he ain't shit. And one night I was DJing at Mokai, and my friends were outside. And I texted him, and I was like, can you please get them in? And he goes, not a chance. And then I said, why is that? And he said, if all your friends weren't black, you wouldn't have this problem. And, wow. and I took that to heart oh, because 80% of that company was built off of African-Americans money. Right. And hip-hop culture was built off. They were cool to take the culture, but then they, they would use it to their leverage and shit. Right. So that happened. And I was already kind of like, all right, now, now my fuse is getting shorter. And this was going into Labor Day weekend. Labor Day weekend, Saturday night at Cameo, I was, and this was my last day with the company. Mind you, till this day, they still owe me over $30,000, and I'm sure they owe a lot of people a lot of yeah, money. Right. But that night, and I never forget it because that was the week before my, before my son was born, I asked for like my drinks and whatever. No one brought me my drinks. And then the waitress said, he told me not to bring you anything. I said, no problem. So I went on, I went on Instagram because Instagram was kind of like a new thing at that point. I took a picture of the empty bucket and I said, if, if the club doesn't care about my well-being, I don't care about the club. I didn't say the club's name. I didn't say anybody's name. He came into the booth. He took my headphones off my head and he goes, you're never going to be anything in your life except a nigger DJ. Wow. And he said, I can't wait till you're going to be replaced with an iPod, uh, iPad or iPod or whatever, he's, whatever term he used. And I, I just pushed him. You know what I'm saying? And then I told him to go fuck himself. And then security came to throw me out. Shit. Bulletproof was nowhere. And he was working with me that night, but he was like in the front of the club making a phone call. I said, all right, fuck y'all. I unplugged my laptop. I shut the music off and I walked out. And I'm like, we're going to see whose value is more important now because now you have a club that's packed on Labor Day weekend and now you ain't got no music. Peace. And I walked out. Fuck. And from that day forward, like 
they they have all tried to blackball me like numerous promoters that came into venues that he worked at have still to this day still try to book me and he's like i'm not going to book you and then one time he had no choice and they had to book me at um what was what was it before mr jones set set when they they tried to do like another night there and i remember a a promoter by the name of justice who's my boy booked me over there yo three records in aris is like trying to get the opener to get back on because he, he he agreed to it to make the promoter happy but then told the promoter that I wasn't playing good. Mind you, there's 100 people in the room. I was on my third or fourth song, and he was trying to pull me. And, like, for me, dog, like, for what I've done and what I've accomplished, I'm not going to let some guy – I don't care what position he's in now because I heard he's, like, owning shit, and that's good for him. Yeah. Like, I'm happy that he's making money. I just don't particularly like him. So at that time, he, like, tried to do that, and I was like, you know what, man, fuck all this shit. And I was like, I'm going to be straight. And then I just took time off. And then I, I had the, the rude awakening in this business. You worked every single day, every single day, every single day. If you take a month off or two months ago, it's like you never existed. Forget and that you. was just the truth. That was just yeah, the, the truth. Yeah, the lifespan. In, in my, I mean, pretty much in the scene, if, if you take a month, if you are not seen for X amount of time, like people forget, you know. It's Fast. So, yeah. you know, the first three or four months my kid was alive, I wanted to be a father. I had money saved up. And I was like, you know what? I just want to enjoy this shit. And I'll get back to it when I can. Right. And it was so crazy because in that three or four months, all of the undercutting young DJs who were working for less money all just started filling all the gaps really quick. Yeah. And all of us went through it. Some transitioned on to being bigger DJs. Like Conflict went on and continued to do his thing. Joe Maz continued off to do his thing. Um, even Mauricio, he got with Scam and started doing whatever he's doing. And Irie, uh, we, know, we obviously know right. in has his hands in everything. And me, at that point, I actually could see, could see her and honestly, yo, I got lost for a little bit. Like I didn't know what I was going to do because when I tried to get back in, the same guys were the people that were willing to take me back with open arms were had the open arms with $150 in it. And I was just like, I can't take care of a family with yeah. this shit. Yeah. And I said to myself, I have two options. I can follow a career in marketing because I know how to market myself. So I know how to market other people. I actually at one point thought about starting a DJ management company. And I was like, I can't live off of 10 or 15% off of $150. So I was like, fuck this. Yeah. And no, there's other DJs that make more money. But at that time, that was just like the trend on the beach. And, uh, uh, a friend of mine was calling me about doing a clothing line. And he's like, meet me in Wynwood. I didn't even know what Wynwood was, to be honest with you. And I think the only thing that was in Wynwood at that time was just um, Panther Coffee. And I think Wood had just opened or whatever. Right. And um, I bumped into Tom LaRock. And Tom LaRock was like, yo, I'm playing at this new bar called Brick. I'm like, oh, this, I, I really like this neighborhood. It reminds me of like, like Williamsburg, Brooklyn. or like It's just real. Like, and I remember I was like, I want to do some shit. I went to go hear Tom that night. And, and the vibe was really cool. Wasn't a lot of people. And, um, and the first thing I said to myself was I was kind of like, I looked at like guys, younger guys like Dizza who started Peach Fuzz and, and I'm like, yo, this is a new guy who came into a new market and he was able to start a successful party. I could do the same thing. I know everybody here. I'm born and raised here. And then I saw a brick and like the two kind of things clicked and I was yeah. just like, so I, I, I reached out to them. I DM'd them on, on social media and I was like, I want to play here. And they knew me from like my track record on the beach and you know, like, if you step off the beach for three months, it's a long time. But if you're somewhat iconic on the beach, your relevancy everywhere else will be a lot longer for a yeah, long time. Yeah, because you were you were doing it at a time where I mean, you you set your mark. You know, it's yeah. like there are certain people that set their mark and you know ha- still have a presence. You know, and you were one of them. So people knew. You know, everything you've done. So so like I had reached out to Brick, and they were they were the first thing they responded to me was, "We're never going to pay your price." And I said, "I didn't I didn't call you out to talk about price." I said, yeah. "I just want to play here." And they were like, we would love to have you here, but this is like a little bar. This is not, I said, I, I know exactly what it is. I, I've yeah. been studying, I've been there, like, you've been here? I was like, yeah. 
Um, and then I, I met the, the, the manager, Javier, who's now the, the manager over at Vezza Sewer. And um, at that time, I was being represented by that local company, OFM or whatever. So I told Eric, I was like, yo, I want to play there. I don't care what I make. I just want to play that. And if they're going to offer me 150 bucks, just tell them I, I don't want any money. I just want to go play and I want to prove myself. Yeah. So that's what he told him. So when I when I met with them that night, I was like, listen, what does your bar make? And they were, I don't know, at that time, I think it was like four or five grand. I said, if I can get the bar over $10,000, will you pay my rate? And they were like, what's your rate? I said, a thousand bucks. And at that time, that was a lot less than what DJs were making on the beach. Because at one time, we were all up to making like 2500 a night at one point in the peak of it. And then it's, it started dipping. And then 800 became like a standard number. I, I'll, I talk about numbers freely because... I'm tired of all these young DJs lying their asses off right. saying, oh, I make $2,000 at this club. and fit. No, you don't. That's Live doesn't pay that. Those days are, are gone. Yeah, long gone. And I, this shit is funny. But anyways, um, if you're making that money, then why are you bring to work? You know what I'm saying? Like, why do you still live at home? Like, I'm sorry. Right. If you're making $2,000 a night, you would yeah. not be living with your mom's house. Yeah, it's one of the later subjects. Yeah, and, and, I, and, I, and I brag about what I get paid because I think some of it's bad and I think some of it's good, but I'll speak free. Like if I could go somewhere for two hours and make $800, why not? Of course. Because now it doesn't matter. I have other businesses that give me the freedom and I still DJ cause I love it. I don't DJ cause I have to, I really fucking enjoy it. That's my therapy. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So back to the brick thing. Um, <laughs> the guy was like laughing in my face. He was like, yeah, 10,000 here. Yeah, whatever. I was like, all right, I, I'm willing to do it. You don't got to pay me. Six, seven weeks went by. I did not get that bar to 10000 Straight up, I could see it. It was the same shit. And then I don't know what happened. I just started, like, reaching. I, I took the old school approach, and I started direct messaging people and, and DMing people. And I was just like, yo, I was like, um, yo, come to my party. I'm throwing a party in Wynwood. They were like, what's Wynwood? What's Wynwood? All my South Beach people, like, the people that kind of got a little bit older that were in their, like, mid to later 20s and early 30s. And they all started coming. And then one person started telling another person. And then Friday, Friday really blew up, right? So when Friday blew up, um, I was just there as a DJ making my little check or whatever. So I said to them, I said, um, I said, I want to start my own party here on Sunday. And they were like, what does that mean? Because, you know, it's a bar. They don't, they don't think like from a promote. At right. that point, they weren't thinking from like a promoter standpoint. Right. I was like, I want to start my own Sunday party here, this and this and that. And they were like, well, tell, tell us what you want. So I kind of explained to them like how it worked on the beach where a promoter would come in. They would spend the money on booking the talent. They would spend the money on the DJs. It kinda, you kind of relieve the expenses from them to be able to open, which is an incentive to them. But if this shit blows up, you get a percentage of the bar, you give a percentage of the door. And the reason I'm explaining it in depth is because this is what I think the futures of DJs making living is. Because I think yeah. working for a promoter, they're already, they, are, they had all already figured out that you can get anybody to play for anything if not free. There's been DJs that paid to play. Right. You know what I'm saying? So reason I'm explaining this is because I want the next generation to understand that there's still business as a DJ. You're a draw. You're a person. People come to fuck with you and hear you and listen to you and feel you and you can use this to your advantage. So I'm trying to give you all the blueprint. So yeah, I think and it's shifting towards like it's not more like, oh, getting bookings, getting gigs, getting like, you know, programming. It's like starting your own event. It's like you're gonna, if you're going to work your ass off for somebody else, you might as well work. It's exactly. like it's the, entrep it's the entrepreneur mentality exactly. right. in the DJ world. So. So, so we structured a deal. I started the Sundays, and um, it was cool. It, it started off at, at a slippery, kind of a slow slope, just like everything, like everything is now in nightlife. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to run with it. We started the Sunday party, and then I started asking like some of the celebrities that I had relationships with and that I was cool with, like, I just need you to be here and take a picture. Just stop by for a minute before you go to live, which I, I got to talk about the live thing at some point, too, because how that happened and all that shit. But anyways, um, so as soon as... I started using social media to my advantage. I was like, I'm going to start posting pictures of who came here. I'm going to start taking a different approach and using 
at this point, I was DJing the party. Yeah. And then it shifted to, I'm dealing with the door, so I had to get somebody else DJ. And then it was like, this concept of this wireless headphones thing came around. And I was like, yo, let's add that. And um, a lot of different things trickled. And then within like three to five months, my whole fucking life changed, bro. Because like, I came off of like, Months of not working, blowing through savings, having a wife, having kids, paying life, um, not life insurance, paying health insurance for three right. people, which DJs get health insurance. I'm telling you right now, you're in a fucked up environment all the time. Get health insurance. We'll talk about that. But um, that party blew up. And when the party blew up, I started making money that I've never experienced because there was always a cap on a DJ. But when you're making percentages of bars and doors right. And, right. And, you're, and, and every time you turn around, it's another Sunday and another check. And you turn around and you see what you built. I, I sat back and I was like. Well, like anything in nightlife, this shit's not going to last forever. What am I going to do to invest this money? And then an opportunity came up, and I invested money into starting. A, it in the beginning, was a really small ice cream shop. But people were kind of intrigued, like, yo, why is a DJ opening an ice cream shop? Because as a DJ, the shit is not forever. You don't, yeah. like, yes, you can be Red Alert and Stretch Armstrong and guys who are DJing at a very old age, but it's not really realistic. You know what I'm saying? Like. The yeah, reason those, one, that's one out of thousands. But they're also legends because they came up in a time where you can grow to be a legend. You can't yeah. grow to be yeah. a legend now. Everybody's yeah. thing is so in and out and so quick because that's it, everybody has the scrolling mentality. If they scroll past you, you're already a thing of the past, right? No. The old guys could be legends. The new, the new kids can't. Drake is probably the only person that's going to be a legend from our whole entire thing. Pretty much. I don't know if y'all can name more, but like... I mean, he's the only one like they've on on like a male Madonna. Yeah, they've they've compared they. I mean, they've they've compared him to Michael Jackson because he's the only one that's had. I ain't gonna say that, but no, no, no. I'm saying like obviously at a lower level, like the only one that's had X amount of hits, and yeah, and he's transcendent, and he's crossed over from hip hop to pop, and he's. I mean, there's no other artist besides. I mean, Rihanna's like. And at the end of the day, it's also like what we were saying earlier before we started recording. Like you don't even know if you're gonna be enjoying this how long you're going to be having fun with it. So you yeah. have to like start planning of, you know, what's other things I enjoy. Let me, Cause before I think even with me, um, it was like, if I wasn't only DJing, I felt like I was slacking. And sure. I was like, like, yo, I know you're another hustler too. Yeah. Clothing yeah. line, graphic designer. <laughs> cha, 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 cha. You know what I'm saying? I'm but, but, um, yeah, like I always thought, Oh, if I'm not putting my hundred and DJing, then, then, you know, everyone else is going to get ahead of me. Everyone else is out there fucking mm-hmm. grinding. So, I was like that for a while, kind of neglecting things where I knew I could kind of excel in or kind of like build. And then one day I realized like, yo, why not just do everything that I like and kind of build off of that slowly while I'm still DJing. So I think, you know, that's kind of where the trend is going, like kind of building your own uh, empire, I guess. Not. And let me break down the DJing shit, too, on the business side, too, what a lot of people don't understand. When you first started DJing, I guarantee you 99 percent of the time you're getting paid cash. Yeah. Right. Now everything is invoice W nine. They're treating you. They're treating it like corporate, but they're not offering you retirement. They're exactly. not offering you health benefits. There's no they're not. There's K, nothing. There's no Social Security, nothing. But you're paying taxes on all that bread, mm. right? So now whatever you make, you got to figure you're losing a huge chunk of taxes. You still don't have your life insurance. You still don't have. Sorry, health insurance. I keep saying life insurance, life insurance because I just got it. But health insurance, you don't have retirement. So what, what the fuck's going to Disability is a major thing. Yeah. You go deaf tomorrow, what the fuck are you going to do? Right. But if you have disability and you go deaf and you're a DJ, guess what? You're collecting money for the rest of your life. Right. And a lot of DJs don't understand how important it is. One of the guys that got me into the game, his name was Mark Leventhal. He died strictly because he didn't have health insurance. You know what I'm saying? I don't really know what the condition was, but if he had health care and he was able to get the right attention, I think he would still be around to this day. And right. that changed... Losing somebody that was that close to me and one of the people that, like, helped me get my foot in the door and 
took me under his wing, losing somebody and seeing that, all the people that he put on, all the bartenders, all the street teams and promoters, he was an innovator on South Beach. Guys like him is why we had a job on South Beach. You think any of those people were there for him when he got sick? Hell no. Yeah. And that's just the sad reality of the world. And it's like I tell DJs all the time, you want to be a DJ, that's cool. But before you spend money on your car, before you spend money on your jewelry and your electronics and all this shit, you got to get fucking health insurance. you gotta, you got to set up uh, a savings or some type of 401k or something that protects you. Because if not, you lose your job tomorrow. Somebody decides they want to blackball you or whatever the shit yeah, may be. you just never know. You're, you're yeah. finished. And there's like a lot of DJs also... They want to get the the traveling look and the like. You know, they want to go out of town and DJ and like, and that's great. Like, you you know, it's something everyone should do. But it's like and it's that like ain't it. the same either. Cause now here here man, here's fifteen hundred all in. You figure it out. Two thousand all in. And I hear all these DJs like bragging like, oh, I travel. I'm in Vegas yeah. and I'm in this place and I'm doing this. And I'm doing that. I'm like, why? Right. You know, like I traveled because it, when I traveled, there was two reasons I traveled. One, it was either the money was worth it to travel, or B, well, two. I said, yeah. Mm-hmm. So two was that it was it was the parties that I was doing was such of such of a caliber and such of a look. It was worth it. But just right. to have residencies in different markets, it's just like I look at it from a standpoint of are you not good enough to keep constant work here, or is yeah. that you're going somewhere else? And then when people start to brag about the money, I'm like, okay, let's break down two thousand dollars real quick on your on your paid gig when you go out of town. If you don't have miles stacked up and you're not a smart person, and you don't book it. If you book at the last minute. All right, two thousand bucks. Let's start with that. Let's go three to five hundred on a flight, especially if you're going across the country. Right, so boom, right there, you lose five hundred. You're at fifteen hundred. You have to pay for your Uber. You got to pay for your hotel. Let's figure two fifty on a hotel, another hundred on transportation to and from. Now you're down to like a thousand bucks. Now what you're not realizing is they're paying you with a check. You're paying taxes, so like you're already at half, and then you get taxed. Let's say another thirty percent. So you just did all of that for three hundred bucks. Yeah. And management. If and, you and, then, and then you lose your percentage right. to management. So you're walking away. Realistically, you might feel like you're getting a check at that moment. But it, when it's all said and done at the end of the year, yeah. you just made $200 off that gig. Yeah. And it's more of, I think, DJs have a mentality where it's like, oh, I'm getting this rate in their head. And it's like an instant gratification. Of like, oh, I'm traveling. I'm going to get the Instagram. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You got brand new tires with no air in it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's, just, it's just what it is. And. And that, that's what I came to realization of. I turn down bookings all the time to travel. And I'll travel. Now I'm like, all right, check this out. I'll do it for this price, but I need you to fly me and my wife. And then I try to milk a vacation out of it. Right. And if I get my vacation paid for, it's actually cheaper because if to take a vacation with your wife, it's going to cost you three to $5,000. Right. But now if you can get a little DJ look out of it, like I love DJing in Bimini now because I'm like, they pay all the expenses and they give me a check. So now I bring my, I'll bring my wife. I'll bring, my, I'll bring another couple. Yeah. We'll jump on a ferry or one of those little seaplanes right. and we'll make a whole weekend out of it. I'll make my money. And then all of us had fun for four days. So I'm like, three days. I'm like, yo, this is dope. Yeah, that's and that's kind of how I plan my traveling now. I'm like, if I'm going to travel for work, I'm going to make every time I travel a vacation. Right. Before it was like, I, I get up at six in the morning. I do the yeah. gig. And I'm on the 6 a.m. back. And then there's no money no, left at the that's end. That's the smart way. Because, I mean, I, I do the same shit. Like when I go to Tampa, I'm always like, I ask for at least two days and then you know, I'll go with my girl or whatever, and then we'll we'll make, you know, do smart. But, I mean, some people are so, cons- a lot of DJs are so consumed with the image of traveling, you know, like you said. And, like, you know, you said two grand. I know I know people that are doing it for a third of that. Yeah. You know, you're like, yo, you literally lost money going. Lost money for a picture, for a post. And at the end of the day, you want to, like, this shit is, we do it because we like it. So, like, 
you're gonna do that whole mission of like transit and planes and cars yeah, and, and, and those, the worst and, part and, and the, when those delays sit yeah yeah and the worst part the worst part is it to me is this like as a brand you know you think that you're making yourself look that good because you're traveling you're there for a night whatever but you're making no money you're losing and the worst part is that like if zay hits me up he's like yo man he's like I, i'm doing this party in la come to la whatever i'll pay you this i'll take care of you cool but if i'm dealing with a booker and the booker knows that yo i'm flying out i'm going out there to literally make no money mm-hmm. just for the look what the DJ doesn't realize is like, yo. You're discrediting yourself straight Exactly. Up. And then that booker knows. So when you hit up club, you're doing that with club A. When you hit up club B. They already know. They already know. So why are they going to pay you two, three, four times no matter and where you, know, you play at? And whatever. you know promoters have a pissing contest. So that, oh, you paid 2000 exactly. Well, I got him for 15 Oh, you paid 15 right. Oh, he did it for two plane tickets and a yeah. bottle of Patron. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and that happens. Right. And people and people are consumed by it. And I'm like, yo, like. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. There is traveling DJs that that are making successfully, and, of course. But, but they've been doing it for a long time. And there's a ra- but I also think those are DJs that have became artists. I don't think those are just DJs. Right, but I'm saying there's open format DJs that are like. But I mean, they, the the catch twenty two is that they have to travel every weekend and yeah. they have to go out of town. And when you get older, it's like, fuck, do I want to leave my family? Do I want to, you know? It's it's a mission. It's, you know, every time you get on taxing. a plane, there's a risk. <laughs> you know what yeah. I'm saying? Like it's taxing. Yeah, it's it, draining. It, it's a lot, man. And do you, you know. think do you think that's why you kind of started focusing like, OK, like I could do this in my own city. Like, why not just build my own? Yeah, I was like, well, the reason why DJs don't make money, it's not the venue. It's the promoter who's trying to pocket more money. So they know they can get away with it. So I was like, well, well I could just be the promoter and I could just book myself. Just cut the middle, man. And then if I book a DJ, anybody knows it's ever worked for me because I, I know what it is to be a DJ. Let me tell you something. If any DJ becomes a promoter. That's the guy you want to work for because he's been down that road. He's been paid late. He's not been paid on time, and he's right. not been paid well. And he, the first thing that DJ is going to do is make sure, because he comes from that culture, is that you're going to have everything that you deserve because they have a respect level for a DJ. All right. And there's a lot of DJs now that are throwing parties, and, and, and they get it. You know, like when A-Train hit me up, I was excited because a DJ booked me to play a party. When right. Dizzy used to call me to do Peach Fuzz, I was excited because a DJ called me to do a party. Yeah. When a promoter called me to do a party, the first thing I said was, here, it's like a headache, I'm like, yeah. here we go. It's going to be the, hey, listen, I don't have this, but if you work with me and blah, 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 it's, it's that insert yeah. speech here shit that everybody does. Yeah, and You already know it's like, oh, here it comes. You know? Yeah. So how did you, uh, I mean, how did we get here into Mr. Cream? So yeah, man, so like, like I said, you know, age comes in a factor. And when I broke 30 years old, I was like, I got to get focused. I need something that if God forbid something happens to me tomorrow, my family is going to be straight. Never did I think this would have became what it was because I started down the street and another place as a pop up. It was me and Jimbo mm-hmm. and people just really liked it. And then when it when it started as a pop up, I was like, damn, I got to find a place that's going to be permanent because now that I know this concept works. So I pretty much put all of my money into doing a legit, going through city, pulling permits, doing everything 100% legit. Because if you want to have a business that's going to last a long time, you got to do it right. And we opened this and we got so lucky with like press and we were on like Love and Hip Hop and, you know, we were on Deco Drive and Food Network and like yeah. all of these different things. And now we're working on like a, a sizzle reel for a show called uh, Eat to the Beat. And be- pretty much I'm interviewing different rappers and R&B singers and stuff, and we're making flavors for them. If you've been to Mr. Oh, Cream, nice. you know that the right. flavors are named after artists. And right, we're making the flavors with the artists, and we're doing shit like that. So, like, that was kind of my whole thing. I was like, everything in life is transitioning. It's becoming better. And, I, and, I, and DJing to me is more than DJing. To be a DJ, you got to be an entrepreneur. That yeah. shit instilled me with my entrepreneurial roots, you know what I'm saying? And from that, 
um, self-marketing and running social media. If you're, if you're a social media account manager, you're kind of an entrepreneur because you're working for yourself, making money, yeah. handling. So from that into promoting, it taught me another level of entrepreneur. And I was like, yo, I know all the different, different ways. I understand marketing, I understand this. I want to do it towards the business. So now Mr. Cream now is two years old. Um, we, we, we changed the financial side of the ice cream business because, you know, like we, we bring the entertainment concept here. We sell beer and wine here. Traditional ice cream shops don't. And when we got in the game, the, the most iconic people in the ice cream business was the people Jackson's. They were like the first ice cream place, period, in Florida. We just did ice cream wars about harbor shops last week, and the owner's daughter came up to us, and she was like, you guys disrupted the whole entire ice cream world. Like, what you guys done in the last two years, no one's ever done in this market, period. And I was just like, I got to thank hip-hop for all this shit. It's yeah. like, you know, hip-hop, the, the attitude and the aggression and the never settling to be second is what made this shop so fucking cool. Yeah. And now we're, we're going to be expanding to two more locations. Um, we're going to be opening one at Carl Gables, and we're going to be opening one at Little River. Okay. And I'm working on my new project now. I'm opening a sushi bar. It's going to be called Pink Wasabi. Oh, it's okay. going to be in Little River as well. I partnered up with Chef Rudy, who's uh, he's one of the chefs at Katsuya, but he also has his own place down in downtown, and we're working on that concept now. And it, even with that project, I'm bringing not a hip-hop. How this is a hip-hop ice cream shop, I'm not doing that, but I will be bringing the guerrilla marketing of hip-hop to the sushi world. Okay. You know what I'm saying? And we're going to be doing like restaurants don't encourage sake bombs we're going to be encouraging sake bombs <laughs> right. people say if a restaurant's too loud they don't like it well if you don't like it it, it is what it is like yeah. you know if you've been to Moderanos before the attitude of like Moderanos, we're going to be doing that with sushi that's that loud. loud music people slamming down sake bombs people dancing on tables like that's what we want nice i think uh dj and hip-hop is like the best university we could have had. Like, a thousand percent. Like, I went to college and shit, but the things I've learned just, like, in my DJ career and, like, hustling and business is, yeah. like, 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 yeah, priceless. You can't, you can't teach that. Yeah, we talked about it, like, on the Convict podcast. Like, South Beach, I mean, I'll, I'll say it again. Like, DJing in, in Miami, period, like, molds you to be able to DJ anywhere around the world. Especially, like, For sure. South Beach days, like, during those days when it was, like, Oh, we got a fucking parade or so and so's here, whatever the bullshit like you had to deal with, like you like it gets you to like react on your feet, you know? But and, like, I, I think one of the, the, the key factors of DJs winning from Miami is that if you pay attention to like DJs that come and play at the West Coast, like clubs that close at two AM, yeah. when you're conditioned to play from ten to five, you'll never burn out. You're yeah, always gonna I, be you're always gonna bring it. So when you get thrown into a market where they're like, Oh, you only gotta play for two hours? Yeah. You're awesome, like you don't even you don't even play half the shit you want to play sometimes. And it's like last call, I'm like last call. I just started. <laughs> right, you know I'm what not mean? ready. I like ready. I'm still sober. <laughs> but like if a, if a DJ from LA comes here, you see a three on the dot. They're already yeah. like losing steam. Yeah, they run rapid. Out of they look, they looking around for the opener, the closer. Like rapid, like two fifty nine. Yo, where you at? <laughs> a Miami DJ is like oh, two a.m. Like I got three hours. Like I got right. three, four. How many hours you need me to play? You know? Yeah, it's crazy to me. Like sometimes, like when I play out of town or whatever, I'm like, yo, like. I'm not even, like, halfway through. And then they're like, oh, we're, we got, like, half an hour left. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. But how have you, uh, I wanted to ask you, I mean, personally, how do you, how have you been able to kind of, like, balance the DJ and all your, I mean, you're opening a fucking sushi restaurant now. Yeah. Like, how do you balance? Um, I, I learned a lot from a lot of people that I respect in business. And I actually read something that Elon Musk wrote, or Elon Musk, however you pronounce his name, the dude from Tesla. Man, time management is the most important thing out of anything you do. And believe it or not, time management is the most important thing, like being on time um, and, and setting time for yourself. And 
I think one of the reasons why I burned out so bad and why I went through the whole transition of not wanting to do anything was because I, I, I had no respect for time. And not having the right time management, I didn't care to sleep late. I didn't care to be on time. I was like, yo, I'm, I'm that dude. Like, I don't give a fuck if I'm late. And then I realized that, yo, man, if you can save 10 minutes here, 10 minutes here, 10 minutes here, by the, time you, by the end of the day, you got four or five hours left that you could apply towards sleep, marketing, being yeah. a father. So now I know, like, my kids go to sleep at 8. So I don't give a fuck what appointment, what meeting from 5 to 8. My kid gets home at 3. I let him get home, do his homework, all that shit. From 5 to 8, I'm home. I don't care what. Nothing. I don't care what meeting. Any meeting, any meeting could wait. If somebody wanted to meet me at 5, they can meet me at 8. Yeah. And, and you, you think that you don't have time, but when you set it, it's... Oh, like, hell yeah. You know, then you're like, you realize, oh... Everybody's like, oh, you only got 24 hours in a day. 24 hours is a lot of yeah, fucking time. time. And yeah. if you respect the time you're, you're going to be fine. And, and I'm starting to notice now, like having a team around you is a very big thing. Like if it wasn't for Jimbo, the, the success of this shop would not be what it is. Like he puts his heart into this. This is what he enjoys. And as a team, we enjoy this shit together. You know what I'm saying? Like we, we, we planted a seed and this shit grown and it's, it's going to change all of our lives. You know, you talk about one location, you, you take that income and you triple it and quadruple it. Now your now your life is, you're, you're kind of just chilling and now you have more time that to me that's what is, is you work not to have money you work to have money to be able to have more time because if you have all the right. money if you have all the money you need you don't need to worry about being at a place at a certain time now your anxiety levels are gone your stress levels are gone you're no longer rushing anymore like yeah. when, when when you don't have money you're constantly rushing because you're trying to figure out how to maximize the most for it but when money starts to come in yeah. it gives you luxury and it, the luxury is time money buys freedom Fuck material things, cause all that shit is whack. Yeah, and I learned that very yeah, quickly. I mean, everyone has to go through that to. Time to is a major, major fucking luxury, bro. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think <laughs> we we've had a long time of talk right now. I think yeah. I mean you're you're a pretty busy guy, so we don't want to keep but you. The, in but these are things that needed to be said because a lot of people need to understand that yeah, shit. Yeah, man. I'm so not gonna sit here and tell people how to do a fucking chirp for four hours. Like that shit yeah. is like you got to talk yeah. about real shit. DJing is a, is a career. For some people, it's a career. Yeah, and you know, and if you don't know how to do that shit like i'd rather spend time talking about this to make sure that the next generation is not a bunch of fucking idiots like this last generation yeah. right so that's why we wanted to have you on because we know you're very outspoken oh, yeah, i don't give a fuck <laughs> so um to kind of i mean i think that's where Zaya was going to like how do you feel what do you feel about like the current situation um pretty much in the miami nightlife like not only not just winwood like I everywhere i don't I mean, think like, there is a situation anymore. or like or like, what do you think it's going? Because like, personally, I think that I think that Wynwood right now is like at a plateau. Like, you oh, know. it's it's spiraling down faster than, yeah. than South Beach did. Yeah. And it's I'm gonna tell you why that is. No other reason than people saw the magic in Wynwood, mm-hmm. and now everybody's trying to replicate it. Right. So what's happening is you're not, and and I tell this to like the people I work with at Brick, and I'm sure you had this conversation with the people at Wood. Yeah, we're not losing people to one other co- competitor. Yeah. And we're not losing it to 20 different competitors. What's happening is there's so many different places. Not a 1,000 people are leaving wood to go somewhere else or a 1,000 people are leaving brick to go somewhere else. 10 people go to that spot, ten, that spot, that spot, that spot. And they're constantly on a hamster wheel the whole mm-hmm. entire night. And yeah. everybody just has a revolving door of the same 10 or 20 people and no one's staying anywhere. Exactly. And the reason of that is, number one, DJs don't know how to play anymore. There's no scheduling or timing or reading a room. It's like you know that 99% of whoever you book to be the opener is going to burn every record. And then the people are going to hear the records again. And they already heard their records, so now they want to go somewhere else. And I think that – I don't think nightlife is plateauing. I just think it's, it's going to go through a cycle, right? So now every, everybody's doing kind of bad. And not yeah. anybody's really doing incredible. 
the people that were smart with their money that were club owners are going to make it through the storm because what's going to happen is every trust fund kid and every person that found an investor that tried to open a club to be in this game in a year, year and a half, they're all going to start dropping like flies because they won't be able to pay the bills. Yeah. And the people that saved for the rainy day and weathered the storm are going to continue to kick ass because this, this is not the first time this shit in transition happened in nightlife. Oh, so I think we're just in, a, in another transitioning period. And I think what's going to happen is, is that we're going to have another year, year and a half of like the clubs not being that pop, like the, that popping. And then it's going to come back. And I think the whole cool bar scene that I love so much, I think it's going to kind of go to shit. Mm-hmm. And the big room thing is going to come back again. Like, that's my prediction. Yeah. You know, I think the bar thing was so dope, but it's already been five years. And if you look at all the different patterns of nightlife, everything has like a five to seven year run and right. then it switches. It's, yeah. like, it's like, oh, the clubs that were saying, yo, don't play hip hop in my club are now the same club saying, don't play EDM in my club. Right. You know? And yeah, we talked about it like on Conflict. With Conflict, we talked about it because we talked about Racket, uh-huh. how like that concept of like having a door, bottle service, like, Racket is the only spot in Wynwood that's like, like a club. Right. But, like, to to me, I, I'm not like. I mean, we play there. Like, we I like the spot, but like the concept of it, it's something that I wouldn't go on my time off. You no, know, like never. I like I like to play there. Like, don't get me wrong, but it's like we're used to the the wood, the brick, the you know, like relax, chill, whatever. Yeah. But then racket is pretty much bringing what we saw on South Beach so over here where you have yeah. to pay a cover where there is a door when I guy. see a suit and an earpiece in Linwood yeah. I'm kind of like I, yeah. you know and, so and it's like so it's like to, to like is that coming back because the cycle like if you think about it the, the people in their early 20s they didn't see that 10 years ago on South Beach it's, so like, it's new to them it's new to them exactly so the same reason why you can get away playing Backstreet Boys in the club now more than five years ago because right. five years ago was old to somebody, but now yeah. it's new to a, a young person. Yeah, or, or it has. I mean, I know you always played yeah. Backstreet Boys. And you didn't give a fuck. But Fact. <laughs> I bet you, if I asked you, did it yeah. work better now or five no, it years ago? Works better in the last three years. It's worked better, and it's also like I always talk about like the fifteen, the ten, fifteen year like mindset of like you know uh, what what was hot fifteen, ten to fifteen years ago. Like people remember that, and they have that that memory. It takes them back to their early teens, or you you're know, just like, getting it in, yeah. in a different context. Yeah, like for sure. It wasn't like uh, when you played Backstreet Boys back then because it was hot when when yeah. you were listening to it. Now it's like they heard it on a viral video, right. or they heard it something like when my boo came out again, and it was yeah. like it's a whole different like way to to listen to a song. And none of them knew that that was an old song. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and the one with the So Gone Challenge, the Monica record. Oh wow, I didn't even hear yeah, that. I don't, one. I don't know that one. Oh, that was fucking huge. Where everybody was doing the sixteen bar rap over that Monica Missy record. So gone i know the so gone record I think, but i think they called it something yeah. else but it was another challenge and and that record shot up to like a million some shit yeah. my boob went on the charts yeah again, i right? remember that um i mean even from the last mix that i did with the uh what was the song the uh bag raiders oh shooting the, star yeah shooting star there was like a meme of, somebody was like oh, oh yeah because they I, do the with like going all across the galaxy yeah where like somebody yeah. fell whatever yeah so all that shit but, but um but yeah, man. I so think, uh, you want to keep? I don't know. Oh, I, th- I mean, I think we p- touch base on everything else. I mean, we touch base on, on mean, a lot of things. Do you have anything you want to add or say yeah. or not? Not really, man. I think, I, think, I think we said a lot, but I, I I'm just gonna tell everybody again, like time management, money management, and invest in your future. As if this is a DJ podcast, I'm assuming everybody more than DJs gonna listen to it. But this is directly towards the DJs. Like all the shit we talked about is like important. Like. I'm not just sitting here being a nerd. Like I'm not selling life insurance or health right, insurance, right, but yeah. like 
I think it's important for DJs to think of the game in a long, like, macro sense cause, yeah. because, like, we're living the age of technology where you want that, like, the next post, the Instagram and all that. But, like, yo, this shit in 10 years, you don't know. And you, yeah. know, and you know what's even more fucked up? Just such a one other subject and we can wrap up. When we started coming up and DJs were making real money, turntables were 500 bucks, right? right? To get a set of CDJs and a mixer is five grand. Yeah. And, you're, and the DJs are making less money than they ever made, but to invest in their craft, it costs that much more. Right. Now, granted, some DJs had to pay for records and shit, but if you look at like all of the things that are in a, a new DJ's way, when you, go, when you go to a place and you're willing to work for free, know that that equipment costs you five grand to learn on or three right. grand. Or if, you, if you're one of those people that DJ on a controller, probably not going to last long, but whatever. Well, you probably will last long. I don't know. But the, the point of the story is, is that you got to think about all those things when you go to when you go to work. The, t- the term work is real. Like if you're not getting paid, it's not work. And if you're going to work, know what you invested in your time downloading music, buying your equipment, the outfit that you wore because you can't look like a bum when you go to work. Yeah. You got to get a haircut. All of that shit costs money. So when you when you when you calculate all of those expenses and you go to work for free, you're a fucking I always I always what say What you say you played yourself. Yeah. <laughs> I always say I always say like especially I mean in South Beach, like what you talked about, like when everything was spiraling down and like all those little gaps open, all these guys, you know, they wanted to do it for the look. And we, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, like people that want to do it for the look and wanted to get in there. Oh, you know, like so-and-so left. So so-and-so can get in there and, oh, I want to do it for X amount of money. I'm like, how are you going to DJ at a venue that sells bottles and you're DJing for less than what one bottle costs? Do you know, it's like, a better analogy too that you're, I don't know if you thought of, but like, if you go to a place that has 12 bartenders yeah. and one DJ and you know that the bartender made more than you as a DJ and there's 12 of them and one of you, exactly. you're doing something really fucking exactly. wrong. Exactly, yeah. Because bartenders make money. They make yeah. Some of them make $1,000 a night, $1,500 yeah. a night, $800 a night, and DJs are playing for 150 There's yeah. one of you and 12 of them. If that doesn't settle in, you're, right. you just need to stop and go be a bartender. <laughs> I think everyone everyone's about to raise their rate now. They're like, God damn. I'm yeah, like, we're gonna go, we're going to one seventy five. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I need Chipotle, god damn it. Jesus. But yeah, man, uh I guess that's it. Uh thanks for joining us, DJ Effect. Yeah, you wanna plug you, in? I mean you definitely gotta plug in. Oh wait, hold on. Uh clap. We definitely gotta plug in Mr. Cream though. Tell everyone where they can uh, yeah, find um, the shop and all that. Mr. Cream Winwood twenty three twenty two North Miami Ave. Follow us on Instagram at Mr. Cream Winwood and we got two more locations popping up and y'all better get ready for pink wasabi if you want that nightlife sushi experience, you know what I'm saying? And we, we at brick every Sunday. We had 11, and we, we bouncing around Sway. Shot to Sean and Sway. Ooh, we, were there. we there. Yeah, we, were, we, were there. we were there at Quote Unquote last night. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <coughs> Technically, we were, there. we were there last night. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But, yeah, man. Thanks for uh, joining us. Appreciate, Appreciate it, it, man. And y'all better get Zaya's clothing line. What is it, hey, man? She got plug yourself, bro. Hey, Everyday Co. E-V-R-Y-D. Oh, no, I'm sorry. E-V-R-Y-D-Y-C-O at Everyday Co. I want to make sure to follow us, MIA Radio. Get those day. follows up. Yes, yes. And Thank Cass you, guys. Got, Cass got the hairline coming hey. up. Oh, <laughs> Skincare hairline. Hey. Feed out. Cass soon. Hey. Best hair in the DJ game. Come on. I'm trying to catch up the conflict. <laughs> oh, I see you. I see All you. right. We'll see you all next week, then. We out. Peace.